welcome to another episode of A Dash of Science. I'm your host, Chris. This week, Carrie and I take you down the path of an eccentric Mr. Nikola Tesla as we discuss his birth in the first half of his life and his road from Europe to America. So sit back, relax, and enjoy A Dash of Science. Hello, how are you, my fellow citizen scientists? This week, we mix history, science, and engineering as we chat about Nikola Tesla. Now, normally I like to delve into a little bit of news related to the topic at hand, but it was a little hard finding breaking news on a man who's been dead for nearly eight decades. So, uh, nothing there. Then I was going to talk about the company with his namesake, Tesla Motors, but I didn't think anyone wanted to hear more about how yet another Tesla spontaneously caught on fire while parked. Then I thought I'd talk about something cool related to magnetic fields in honor of Tesla, who came up with the rotating magnetic field to harness the power of AC. But, well, the first part of this show contains enough awesome and interesting factoids, I figured, screw it, let's just jump right in. So this week, we are going to talk about Nikola Tesla, one of my favorite people in history, just because he's very eclectic, I guess is a nice way of putting it. Maybe more than that, we'll discuss and find out. But let me ask you a question. Before I told you that we were going to do this episode and you kind of looked into it a little bit, what did you know about Tesla? I saw that movie that he's in. What was that movie? That movie he's in? The Prestige. Oh. (laughs) Uh, That's about my extent of knowing Nikola Tesla. Uh, The movie that has his character in it, not a movie that he physically was in. Yes. I was like, I didn't read anything about him being in a movie. (laughs) Don't think he's an actor, Carrie. (laughs) No, I saw The Prestige, and in that movie, he creates the machine so the guy can do the trick about whatever. Yes, yes, yes. So, Nikola Tesla, most everything that we know about him, about his personality, personal life and about things other than just, hey, he invented this thing, actually come from memoirs and and autobiographies and things he's written himself. So we've kind of got to take that as is and understand that people, when telling stories about themselves, tend to exaggerate. And if we add into this fact that he's a little... Crazy. Crazy, I guess, is a very strong word. Maybe maybe deserved, but I wasn't going to go that far yet. (laughs) So we've got to take that under advisement when we listen and when we talk about things that uh, he did that aren't necessarily part of public record. But he was a very mysterious man, a bit weird, as we've said. A lot of fantastic stories, again, mostly written by himself, about himself as a memoir, etc., But one of the interesting stories that I thought that comes about from him is the story of his birth. He tells the story of his birth like he remembers it? As in, you know, stories. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like you hear stories about things that happened when you were a kid before you remember them, right? But I'm pretty sure if asked, he would probably claim he was one of those people who have like a photographic memory. And we'll find other interesting abilities he claims to have later on. But anyways, (laughs) so the night that he was born, there was a huge, huge electric storm, lightning storm, right? Which is kind of interesting since he's like the father of electricity, so to speak. And that at the exact moment of his birth, a lightning bolt struck outside the window and his midwife called him the child of the storm, but his mother corrected her, calling him child of light. So on the day of your birth, you are nicknamed the child of light. Uh, you've got a lot to live up to. That's uh, really <laughs> interesting, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows if that's true? But the other kind of fun thing that happened from there. So he was born in what was it? July 10th ish because he was born at midnight. And they didn't know if they should say he was born the day prior or the day after. So they agreed it was the 10th. But I have no idea if it was like the 9th, 10th or the 10th, 11th. So there you go. But it was 1856 in a small town in the Austrian Empire. I think it's pronounced Smiljun. Smiljun? I don't know. I don't pronounce foreign words very well, and I try to learn how to pronounce them. But, you know, when you're looking at a small town that existed in 1850, you know, you get what you get. So uh, I guess look that up yourself if you want to know if I was <laughs> correct. But he was the fourth child of five in his family, and he was the second boy. So born in a small town in backwaters, you only, you know, poor family 
don't have a lot to invest in your second male child and your fourth child at that. So he wasn't really, uh, he didn't have a lot of time and money invested into him. But he was the child of light. He was the child of light. And that's all that they gave him is a nickname. <laughs> oh, well, that's pretty lame. He could have been a stormborn. Oh, yep. He could be stormborn. And then uh, then he could have invented dragons. So there you go. <laughs> they needed inventing. <laughs> they did. So his father was a Serbian Orthodox priest named Militant Tesla. Militant? Mil- Militant, not militant. Oh, okay. That would be interesting. A priest named Militant, though. I think that would be amusing. But no, Mil- Militant, he was also a poet. And he wrote political discourse under a pseudonym because, you know, you had to in those days or you'd be executed. And he was also a master of several languages, which, of course, he taught Tesla. Tesla is known to have known several languages. I don't know the exact number, but he started out from day one learning Serb, Croatian, German and Italian from his father. So there's three languages right off the bat. That's quite an eclectic mix of languages. Yes, it is. I mean, I guess from the European area, I think we have kind of a disadvantage here of being in the United States because our country is so huge. And for the most part, everybody speaks predominantly English here, you know, but over in Europe, you have an entire country that's the size of several of our states, and every one of them speak a different language. So it's probably easier to pick up other languages, specific European languages there, I would imagine. But I don't know. I've never lived there. so Yeah, I don't know either. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. So that was his father, uh, priest and uh, linguist and poet. Rebel. And rebel. Rebel on paper. His mother's name, <laughs> forgive me already, Jouka. It's D-J-O-U-K-A, and I'm pretty sure the D is silent. I'm pretty sure it's Jouka. Jouka Tesla. Her father was also a priest because in that time frame, you were pretty much in the clergy or you're in the military or you're a farmer. And that's your uh, that's your job or you're a bearer of children. If you're a woman, I think is your only occupation choice at that time. You could have been a blacksmith. Yeah, it could have been a blacksmith. I don't know. I don't know how popular blacksmiths were in 1850s. I'm trying to think when was the Industrial Revolution? It's probably somewhere before then, right? I mean, obviously, we're going into the time where we're doing stuff with electricity. So machinery was definitely a thing that existed. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like small town blacksmiths for like horseshoes and stuff like that. But yeah. Anyways, point being not a lot of options. But what's interesting about her is that her entire family she came from was completely literate. And of course, you know, her husband was literate in multiple languages. She was not. She just never took the time to learn to read or write anything. Hmm. So I don't know. She just didn't find it useful in her life of agriculture. But I mean, don't need to read to pop out children. I mean, it's interesting because nowadays we don't find that. I mean, there are people who are illiterate, but for the most part, as a country, we consider that like a basic skill set that everybody should learn no matter what you're doing. Whereas before, well, if you weren't going to be a priest or a writer, you didn't need to know how to write. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It was like you were making receipts or anything. But interesting, Tesla did speak highly of her and her family line, calling them a family of inventors, which he credited for his ability to invent. And he claimed that she had invented all sorts of household and agricultural tools, which he'd seen her use. And he claimed that if she didn't live in this small backwards, you know, not backwards, but backwater town, you know, just trying to make things to make her life easier, that she could have been a rich and famous inventor anywhere else. So she was a woman. Only she was a woman. There is that also. Yeah. I don't know why I never think of that when I'm talking about like older times. It just it's such a natural thing that women are equals that I always forget. I think I was talking with my son, Alex, the other day about how the Boston Marathon there was a woman who illegally entered that to race to prove that women were capable of running races. And even after she finished that successfully, it was still like 45 years after that until they allowed women to run in a race. I mean, it's not even like it was a was a huge thing for lots of money, right? It's, it's the Boston Marathon. You just show up, you apply, and you can run. That's just blows my mind. But Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It helps that I'm a girl. I tend to think yeah, that way. Yeah, probably. Don't let me forget that, that women had a hard time, not that you're a girl. I was wondering about that. So she never did push anything. And I kind of think that this failure to understand the importance of commercialization would be a detriment to her son later as well. So pop quiz. Do you know what you call someone who knows and uses multiple languages? 
A multilinguist. That is a good one. Uh, it's a polygot. Polygot. Yep. Like G O T. Like polygot a cracker or polygot numerous languages. <laughs> Polly's pretty smart yes. little bird. I know where Polly comes from. I don't know the where got comes from linguistically. I am not a linguist or an entomology. Is that right? Entomology? I don't I know why you right. keep asking me all these questions. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to Tesla. So Tesla is pretty much known for his major push into AC power. At the time, it was mostly DC with Edison. So everybody kind of knows a little bit about the the kind of fight between Tesla and Edison and but I don't think everybody knows the details which is kind of why I wanted to do this episode but back to Tesla's childhood so we talked about how Tesla was the fourth child and the second son and not much was invested in yada 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 he had an older brother named Dane and from what I've been able to gather he was actually pretty talented much in the same way that Nikola was but he died in a mysterious horse-related accident in which the only other person around was Tesla. Interesting. And so he took out his competition. <laughs> there are legitimate historians who have offered a hypothesis, a theory, an idea, an opinion, I guess, maybe. I don't know, that Tesla was involved in some way. But as far as I can tell, there was nothing ever that like led to that other than just Tesla or Nikola, I guess we, Tesla's last name is just called Nikola when referring to him within his family, huh? So we're not being confusing. Anyways, Nikola was the only one there with his brother Dane, and he never really spoke much about how it happened. And this was like a revered horse in the family. The horse had saved his father's life. Like, so I guess then it just decided it didn't like Dane and killed him. But I guess that's how horses work. Yeah, they just save and kill people. <laughs> save and kill people. <laughs> the horse giveth and the horse taketh away. But anyway, so of course now Nikola is pushed into the number one position. And of course, because like we talked about before, he was expected to follow in Dane and his father's footsteps and become a clergy member. So that's kind of where he started. And knowing his life story, I couldn't possibly imagine him as being a priest. Yeah, I don't think so. But I mean, when you go through and you look at like his life, you see a lot of issues that are like they hint at potential like cognitive disorders, I guess, to put it nicely. Psychological disorders. Psychological disorders. I mean, the first one being Asperger's. This guy, if he had something to say, he said it and it got him into a lot of trouble, even with Edison. So kind of the first proof of this that I'm putting forth is by his own story. I guess he used to have these two aunts that would hang out them and his mother once asked him, uh, who was prettier, which aunt was prettier. And after thinking about it, his response was, this aunt is not as ugly <laughs> as the other aunt. <laughs> That's kind of horrible. Right. Uh, and I guess he, he went on to write several other things at different times about literally just how hideous his aunts were, which seems wow. like a strange thing to write about, right? Especially when you're older, you've got some stuff that you're known for under your belt to just start writing about how ugly your aunts are. <laughs> It's all special. <laughs> yes. So a lot of these stories are very similar to symptoms that we see related to certain things like Asperger's today. So they didn't really have those diagnoses. Everybody was just weird, I guess, you know, ignored or what is it? Eccentric, called eccentric if they had any type of these. Being uh, eccentric is not, I don't know. Being eccentric and being having mental disorders is well, not I think, the same point. No, it is not. But I think eccentric is just how they captured all of those back then when uh, they couldn't really define them. He also had several issues with women. You know, he was a lifelong celibate. But I think the weirdest thing is his insistence on communicating with his sisters through their husbands later in life. Like he would he wouldn't write his sisters directly. He would write their husbands and talk to them. Wasn't that more proper in that time, though? If it wasn't your sisters, sure. <laughs> but how did he put it? He said he managed to survive innumerable difficulties, dangers and scrapes from which he extracted himself as if by enchantment. And some of the things that he writes about make me think of Sheldon from Big Bang. Like, uh, <laughs> is he once fell into a tank of hot milk. He was attacked by a family of geese. He tried to fly with an umbrella 
which ended in six weeks worth of recovery because apparently it was a pretty tall building he jumped off of or a bridge or something. This guy's smart enough to create currents, but he can't not understand that an umbrella is not going to keep him up when he jumps off a building. Well, to be fair, his inventions happened as an adult and we're still talking childhood here. So, you know, that's probably uh, when he learned a lot of these things. But let's see. He also claimed that one of the interesting things that occurred as a child is that he saw visions like flashes of light or visual images of things that like he heard. Like if you were to describe something to him, he claimed to be able to perfectly see it in front of him as if it was really there. And he would oftentimes ask his siblings, is this thing really here and kind of wave his hands through them. And, you know, obviously they wouldn't move around or anything. But several of his writings indicated that his brother Dane also kind of had this, I guess, ability for lack of a better term to call it. But he also claimed he could astral project, which was weird and came out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) in that time they were all like into all the different things. Like every person did the same. Like everyone's an artist. Everyone was a politician. Everyone was a, you know. So you think he's just like making up ways to be unique? (laughs) I think it's just, it was something that came around and so we probably just mastered it because he masters everything. Yeah. Well, I don't know if astral projecting is really a real thing you can master, (laughs) but he claimed to be able to visit places in his mind that he had never physically been to before. And it kind of brings up an interesting concept about mental imagery versus hallucination and disorders and illnesses that cause uh, visual hallucination, visual hallucinations. But it's been shown that visual hallucinations or illnesses that cause them also cause like a much stronger ability to do mental imaging. And, you know, mental imaging is just your ability to picture things in your mind, right? So the ability he claimed to have. Yes, but that ability that he claimed to have was so much more prominent than just like picturing something like he claimed that he was able to master it and manipulate it in his mind and kind of move it around different areas. And so much point that he didn't even think it was just like a mental thing. He thought it was an actual like physical mechanism that somehow if he thought about it hard enough and he could produce the right thing that he would actually be able to take these things that he was visualizing and project them onto a screen into the real world for people to see and that's actually an invention that he spent a long time working on you'll find that he there's a couple of things throughout life that he just really obsessed on and that was one of them and obviously he never uh you ever created that one? Because as a, it's crazy. <laughs> because it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> but it is important to point out that he didn't believe that it was a mental illness. He thought, like I said, it was just a physical mechanism that he had the ability to do and assumed that some other people could do them also. But yeah. Yeah, so, the brother he killed. Yes. I guess there can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, then a lightning storm comes and, you know, transfers power and the quickening and he's and never mind anyways <laughs> sorry i nerded out on highlander there a minute yeah i didn't even get that reference yeah I was that's so fine confused. whatever <laughs> so back to tesla uh <laughs> his initial interest in electricity came from petting his family cat and just watching like uh, the electric shock you've ever gotten that on the cats yeah i do that it, all like the time in the dark day. well apparently that was that's what did it for him mentally yes mentally uh <laughs> so as we talked before he was expected to be a clergyman but he really really wanted to be an electrician he was big on electricity and engineering Um, this was a big fight between him and his father and it actually all the way up until he went through like primary in school was expected to be a clergyman but when he came back on a break from school there was a big cholera outbreak and he actually ended up contracting that and he spent like nine months in bed and almost died And he writes later that what saved him was his father's promise that he could study engineering if he got better. And then miraculously, days later, that promise got him back to normal. It sounds a bit manipulative to me, but I don't know. I don't. Medicine wasn't the best in like 1890. It's a placebo effect. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I got what I wanted. I'm I'm suddenly better now. I was just dying yesterday, but now I am not. (laughs) You ran out of people to kill. I guess the girls uh, didn't offer much of a what's the word I'm looking for? Threat. Yeah. There weren't much of a threat to him. I've said it a bunch of times on on this show that I think the entertainment industry has accidentally crossed over with the music industry. To the average listener, that it all comes across as music. Mm. 
Matt Aldous. It's an absolute blinder of a conversation. I, I really had a lot of fun talking to Callum. But Callum is the drummer for a band called Bare Knuckle Parade. If you've had your share of science for the day and you want to hear some music and hear about the music industry, check out The Musician's Podcast at www.themusicianpodcast.com. Hear from musicians and other people in the music industry. Check it out now. Into his schooling, we're at 1875 now. So he's 19 years old, and he's headed out to Graz. Graz? Graz, yeah. It would eventually be known as Graz University of Technology. So they basically taught physics, chemistry, astronomy, uh, mineralogy, botany, technology. This is essentially like the stem of the 1800s, right? That's cool. You could like count them on on one hand. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, he, he initially joined essentially on like an ROTC-like program. Uh, they promised to pay for school in exchange for eight years of military service. And I couldn't really figure out the timeline on this, but essentially when it came to pay up, he just kind of ran away for a year and lived in the mountains and claimed some health reasons, quotes, <laughs> until enough time had passed that his obligations were just voided. I don't really know <laughs> a lot of details there, but it's like in today's world, you couldn't just run away for a year and claim like medical reasons. And then the military is like, ah, oh, we don't want you anyways, right? Like, I feel yeah. like there's some accountability that would occur there. I bet you they met him and they were like, this is a weird duck. Yeah. We don't want him in our military. And I don't, like I said, I don't really understand the timeline. I think maybe he just agreed to do this. And then maybe like after his first year of school, he just took off for a year to get out of it. So I don't think, I mean, like he never, he never finished school. So he didn't get his full uh, school paid for. So I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> so while he was at school, we do start to see kind of the first of his mania uh, or what I'd call like borderline somewhere between majorly anal retentive and mildly OCD behaviors. And there's no doubt in my mind as he got older, he delve like head first deep down into the OCD hole. He was seriously OCD, which we can talk about later. But so he would basically work himself into exhaustion. He would be, I think the standard was something like three or four classes for first years. And he was taking like, like eight classes. He's sleeping like two or three hours a night, if at all. So on top of all his normal like tech and science classes, he was also taking French and English. So like two more classes. So now he's up to five for people who are keeping track of his languages at home. But the school was so worried that they actually spoke to his father and they were literally worried he was going to kill himself through his habits of not getting enough sleep. And this is basically how he worked on everything his entire life. It's just very all or nothing. Like he didn't keep normal hours. He was constantly being ridiculed about coming in to work at 12, but then he'd work until like four in the morning. So I wonder if he's bipolar or something, having manic. Like, it it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Episodes. If you just started naming out like mental disorders, I'm pretty sure we could find some evidence that he has at least all of them. <laughs> 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 but so this is a time that electricity was still pretty new and it was mostly DC direct current. And then the gram machine was just invented and being used to kind of demonstrate electricity. What's a gram machine? The gram machine was essentially, well, here's a funny story. Knowledge noodle. Most people familiar with electronics and cars, etc., know that generators and motors are kind of the same thing. Uh, the difference is just which way you connect the wires, basically, and which way the electricity is flowing. So... With a generator, you're producing electrical energy, and then from well, a motor, you're producing mechanical energy, right? You're going, one goes from electric to mechanical, and the other goes from mechanical to electric. So with a generator, you're spinning the magnet, which is inducing a current causing electricity, and then your output's electricity, and the motor is the opposite. Uh, but they didn't know this initially, and actually during the... Uh, setup of this gram machine, which is essentially a motor generator, uh, they set it up wrong. Uh, and then voila, now you have a generator and a motor. Nice. <laughs> so this is where Tesla first learned of the issues with AC alternating current. In order to use electricity at this time, you needed a constant flow and and you had to use what was called a commutator. What's a commutator? Uh, so a commutator is essentially a 
a small mechanical device consisting of brushes and rings. So I guess really in order to explain this, we kind of got to go back to like uh, the difference between DC and AC. DC is direct current. And what that means is essentially that you have charge flowing in one direction only and it's constant. It doesn't change in voltage and originally had a very hard time handling large voltages and it was really inefficient. It lost a lot of energy if you tried to transfer it over long range transmissions. And so even today, we generally use it with digital electronics or small things that need steady power where having a rotating magnetic motor involved is not really sensible. So DC required small stations for every neighborhood within a mile. So you'd have to create a DC power station and then it could only power anything within about a mile from it. And eventually they were able to get it to push high voltages uh, with a series of motor generators, but it was really, really expensive. And this lasted all the way up until like the 1970s when they invented kind of superconductors and they were able to make high voltage DC viable. And they're starting to use it a little bit in Europe. But even now, uh, high voltage DC, it, it has less loss than it used to, but it's still more costly and less reliable than AC. So AC is really the better for long especially for like long distance transport. D DC comes to be better when you want to do something smaller and you don't want to have, like I said, a rotating magnetic device, which can be pretty large sometimes in your device when you want a smaller device uh, and allows you to do small voltages really easily. Uh, so on the AC side, that's alternating current, right? So your charge essentially changes direction periodically. And so your voltage fluctuates between a negative and a positive voltage. Uh, most, if not all of our power grid now is, and our home power is AC. This is why you get like the large AC, those black box adapters on things you plug into the wall. What those are is essentially transformers you're converting from the AC power in your house to the DC power that your device uses. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. So you get a lot less energy loss over long transmissions because if you think about it, so power is equal to your current times your voltage, right? So if you hold your power at the same amount and you increase your voltage, you have to decrease the current in order to keep that equation equal. And with less current means you have less heat loss from resistance, essentially. So you're losing less energy. It's way more efficient to transfer large voltages over AC. I think, yeah, pretty much all the stuff going on now, this frame where we're at with Tesla is all mostly these DC power stations. I believe Rome was wired for AC shortly after somewhere around 1886, I think. Uh, but outside of that, pretty much everything's DC at this stage. I just have such a hard time with it being the 1800s and there being power. <laughs> yes. So commutators and rectifiers. Commutate, these are ways, these are how you convert between AC and DC. So as I said, the commutator is basically a system of brushes and rings that reverses current every half a turn. So your current in your AC voltage, in your AC current, AC power is essentially flipping every 90 degrees or 180 degrees, so to speak, right? So you're getting negative voltage. So what this commutator brush thing is essentially doing is spinning at the same time so that every time your uh, current swaps in your AC power line, you are now going a different path to make it so it's still a continuous one directional path after the commutator. I know it's kind of hard to picture, but that's essentially what it is. But essentially, if you have one coil, it will pulsate in one direction every time. And then if you add more coils, you'll get a more steady, less pulsating. So it's essentially converting this back and forth AC power to a single direction DC. Are these coils you're talking about Tesla coils? No, these are not Tesla coils. These are just little coils of wire with brushes on them and rings, essentially. So the other way that you can convert from AC to DC is a rectifier, which is a more uh, modern day. So you have this little electrical device called a diode. It only lets uh, electricity pass one direction. So you have a series of these four diodes uh, set up in such a way that your power from your AC is coming into it. Then when it's a positive, it's going to go down path one and out. And then when it's negative, it's going to go down path two and then out. But as your output is looking at it, it's all coming out one direction. It's not alternating anymore. So one's kind of a mechanical solution and one's an electrical solution to converting from AC to DC. 
Interesting. That's uh, that's a commutator. That's your science <laughs> for the day. There you go. So he's in school. He's looking at these gram machines, like I said, which were kind of demonstrating electricity. And he, he kind of saw this as a flaw that you had to use these commutators and modify the current into this direct current single direction way. And he actually caused a lot of tension between him and one of his professors because he's this punk 19 year old kid just coming in. And here's this professor who knows about DC. He's got this cool thing, you know, as you can imagine that would go. But uh, this altercation is pretty much, this is why we have AC today. It was pretty much Tesla's giant FU to his teacher (laughs) who told him that this, his idea of a, of utilizing AC was impossible and was just a perpetual motion scheme and, and all this other crap. So, uh, (laughs) yes, interesting during this time, he didn't actually finish schooling here. And there were some claims that some of it might have to do with womanizing, but I've not found any evidence to support this. And like, especially with his issues with dealing with women later on, like, I can't imagine that being an issue. But Yeah, that's interesting because you said something about womanizing and then he decided to be celibate. But what I read online said that he was always celibate and that he thought chastity made him do better science. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, there's very little little things saying he womanized. But we'll find out later on that he kind of had a reactionary personality. If he ever came across something that he was doing that he thought was bad for him, he would immediately stop all. He wouldn't cut back or whatever. So there's some claims that maybe the reason he became celibate and thought that this was better for him is because of whatever these experiences he had in school that caused him to drop out. Now, like I said, I couldn't find any actual solid evidence of it. Just a couple of people that were kind of tossing this around as an idea based off of other things. So I don't know if it's true or not, but it's interesting to think about. But no one really knows why he only he only lasted like maybe another few semesters. Uh, at this school before he just kind of disappeared. Uh, he didn't graduate, just kind of left. Uh, nobody really knows where he went or exactly for how long he was gone for. Yeah, so he just kind of popped up one day in Marbury working as an assistant engineer, but he apparently picked up a lot of bad habits in school, uh, gambling with cards, billards, drinking, etc. Also probably could have been the cause for him not finishing. But uh, I bring this up because he was literally run out of town by the town government in Mulberry when he was working there. So that's kind of interesting. I like to, to point out that college has not changed in the last several hundred years. Yes, you learn your math and your French and your gambling and your drinking. <laughs> your womanizing. And your womanizing. But he did, uh, he did actually end up returning to school in Prague in, in 1880 with, a, with an attempt to complete his studies. But his father ended up dying and his father was the one that was actually paying for him to go to school. So he didn't have any more money. So he went home and he actually never returned to school. He never earned an actual official academic degree. Apparently he didn't need one because he can memorize everything. Yeah. uh, And I guess that was a pretty common thing back then. You know, they didn't have the issue that we have today with people just requiring some form of degree. They don't even care half the time what your degree is in anymore, as long as it's something somewhat relevant. And Well, they want to know that you went to college and actually learned something. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, you look back in, in the 1800s, you know, the time of Nikola Tesla and, and Einstein and, you know, these people who were able to accomplish so many things with with the amount of education, not that Einstein didn't have education, but he had he had issues in earning his education and getting his research funded. But yeah, it's you got to wonder if we're doing it the right way necessarily today. There was also a lot of time or people in that time that were saying they had degrees and were doing stuff that they weren't qualified to do, like dentistry and doctoring uh, yes. and so on and so forth, which is why I think we've gone to having to have like an actual piece of paper that proves that you went to college and got a degree and you're not just lying about it. Yeah, that could be. That could be. So after kind of dropping out of school, he kind of bounced around for jobs here and there. He worked for a couple of different groups, ended up working for Edison in uh, at Edison Continental in Europe. What year is this? So now we're in 1881 and Nikola has found himself in Budapest working for a new telephone station. He was very excited to work on Alexander Graham Bell's new telephone system. Unfortunately, he'd kind of been uh, fed a line, so to speak. And when he got there to work, he found out that not only had this station not been built, but it hadn't even been designed yet. Awesome. <laughs> so he just was like, all right, F you all, I'm outie. Uh, He's awfully F ing a lot. You know, he at this stage... Probably not deservedly, but when you sit back and look at all the times he's screwed over by just little things like this by people, like I get the mentality of just saying, screw you all. 
also random factoid here that I didn't know as I as I've liked to as I coined earlier my knowledge noodle. <laughs> Budapest actually used to be two different cities. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I did not know that either. Uh, it was Buda and Pest. <laughs> that makes sense. They actually had just officially united in 1873, so a little less than 10 years before when Tesla lived there. So, do we do that in America? Just put two cities together if they're stuck close enough together? Oh, I'm sure if we looked, we would find examples of it. Uh, I don't know of any off the top of my head. I'm sure somebody listening is going to be like, oh, this very obvious thing that everybody in this country knows about, and I'm forgetting, but whatever. Points to that person. <laughs> yeah, points to that person. Uh, but this show is about Tesla, not about random U.S. cities that joined together. So, <laughs> that was a raspberry yes, of silence. Yes, it was a raspberry of silence. Silence? No, it was not a silence. raspberry of silence. <laughs> so anyways, after uh, finding out that this thing that he'd, be, he'd been convinced to come work on didn't actually exist, he went and got a job as a draftsman at a telegraph company, uh, which I read was ironic because he was horrible at drawing. So apparently he couldn't have been too bad at drawing if he was able to get that job, but... Anyways, he didn't stay in that position very long. He moved up to an engineering position. And while in that position, he actually invented the loudspeaker or a loudspeaker, I should say, which is essentially just a device to amplify sound. That's cool. Uh, yeah. But we'll see. This is a kind of a common theme in his life where he uh, fails to commercialize this thing that he made and or in this case, even to patent it. So <laughs> he was not very business savvy. And this bites him in the butt like time and time and time again. You'd think he'd learn uh, for a supposedly smart man. He's very slow on the uptake on this particular issue in life. So <laughs> that might be the Asperger's again, though. Yeah, that could be. So at this point, uh, he met and began working with the Puskis brothers. So some of you may be familiar with Edison history and electricity. You'll know that these are the guys that ran the DC exhibit at the Paris Exposition. So this is when he first learned of kind of Edison's doings in America. The DC lighting had existed since like 1878, so a few years now. But he was less familiar with the power plants and such that Edison was attempting to build. And then during all this, he had still been obsessing over his AC problem because that darn teacher told him that it was impossible. So, of course, you know, set out to prove him wrong. But supposedly he, forgot, he got his first breakthrough from a German play called Faust. And you can look that up. I'm not going to repeat a German play <laughs> because I don't know it. Oh, you should just read it in German. Yeah, no, thank you. But essentially, this gave him the idea of a rotating magnetic field. And he designed and spent the next six years improving on this design, supposedly entirely in his head, uh, according to his own words. Anyways, he would he would look at it in his in his in his brain eye <laughs> and uh, he would just modify it and modify it over the course of six years before ever drawing it out or trying to build it or anything. So that's common amongst writers. That's not too odd of a behavior. It's just not probably not as common among scientists. It's writing is like words, though. You only have to memorize the words when you're when you're visualizing like this mechanical and electric component and everything has its place and how it all works. Like I find that to be I don't, I don't want to say much more difficult to believe, but definitely more difficult to do. Right. It's awing. Yes, it is. And it, unfortunately, how do you prove that that did or didn't, you know, happen? Yeah, that's true. So. 1881 relationship with the uh, Puskis brothers led him to Charles Batchelor, who was Edison's main man in Paris. He was there attempting to sell the idea of DC lighting in Europe, but was having a hard time due to the issues inherent to DC, which we talked about, you know, with transporting over long distances. So at this stage, he'd only uh, he'd only sold and built three stations in all of Europe. Tesla tried to pitch him the idea of AC, but he was so invested in DC that he really didn't want to hear about it. Well, yeah, that's like a lifetime's work. That's got to be hard for some kid you don't know to come up and tell you that. Exactly. And and we'll find this happens time and time again, unfortunately. But uh, while in Paris, of course, picking up all sorts of more expensive habits, such as fine dining and exorbitant clothing, there was a quote I found of him saying in reference to his finances that the last 29 days of the month were the toughest. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he had a tendency to drop his entire paycheck on clothing and stuff. Well, that's so, not too abnormal. Yeah, I, I guess. But it's, it's interesting how... 
somebody who is known for his ability of self-control had so many of these tendencies in his early life. And maybe that's what led to the, this issue of self-control. But anyways, a meeting with Bachelor kind of led to working for Continental Edison, as we said. Uh, he spent most of his time being like a traveling repairman. So he went all over France and Germany fixing these DC systems. And it gave him a lot of hands-on experience with the DC systems and their flaws. But because he was a problem solver at heart, he ended up making improvements to the DC system. So such as new dynamos and automated regulators. Vince. And we're from the Nick and Vince podcast where we talk about arts, movies, comic books, history, science, really anything pop culture related. But not politics. We don't talk <laughs> politics Uh-oh. here. But we also have. Well, also we have occasional guests like podcasters, authors, and comedians. Well, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. You can also like our Facebook page, Nick and Vince podcast and follows and twitter at nick and vince to get all our new episodes and new up to dates about our podcast and now back to chris in a dash of science so let me guess what's a dynamo no no i was gonna say did he patent these Oh, of course not. Well, this is a little bit different because he was working with the company within the company. So technically the company he's working for owns those designs. That's really dumb. Yeah. I mean, that's still the same thing that happens today. Like if I were to invent something at NASA that has anything to do with NASA or using any sort of NASA, you know, uh, resources, then NASA has first dibs on it. Hmm. So you know what a dynamo is then? No, no, I don't. Well, dynamo is just a generator that creates DC power using the the commutator that we talked about earlier. All right. So he was often the guy, like the go-to guy to fix problems when no one else can. So like an interesting, like this traveling took him to fix a rail station in Strasbourg. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Cause that's what the automated computer told me to say. <laughs> right. Cause those are known for yes. being really good at pronouncing things. Uh, so apparently he impressed the mayor there with his ideas sufficiently enough that the mayor reached out to kind of all the wealthy people trying to get investments for him for his AC system. But wouldn't you know it, not a single person wanted to give this 20-something-year-old money. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, he left disappointed after the repairs were complete. He's still a strange person. He so is very strange, I wonder if yes. that had something to do with it. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. So he returns from his trip, having fixed the entire rail station's DC system by himself, saved the company millions of dollars, and he was offered like a... Uh, con- what they called considerable compensation uh, was promised him for doing this. But when he came back to get it, he did not receive it. So strike one on Edison and his crappy company. <laughs> he, Don't hate on Edison just because we're talking <laughs> about Tesla. Well, I think that it is very crappy as a company to screw somebody over a big compensation who single-handedly saved like part of your company, right? Yeah, that's pretty uh, low. So being screwed over by the European Edison company was enough to make him leave Edison con- Continental, but Bachelor, who is remember was an Edison man, uh, was able to convince him to head to America to improve on Edison's dynamos and motors there. So Tesla saw this as an opportunity to present his AC ideas to Edison himself. No, I didn't realize Edison wasn't there at this place. No, Edison was in America. This was still in in Europe, specifically Paris is where he was now. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So. One thing that became very obvious, even to Tesla, was that he wasn't just odd by European standards, but also, if not more so, by American ones as well. Yeah, they were kind of the prudish Americans <laughs> yes. in that time. So now Tesla is essentially the story of the guy who did things while constantly getting screwed by life in every way possible. So coming to America wasn't any different. His trip by boat was very dramatic. It included having all of his money stolen, but four pennies, and also a ship mutiny in which he was almost thrown overboard. Interesting. Did they take his money during the mutiny? I don't know if it was the same incident or just things that occurred 
while there, right? So like, they stole his money and they got all excited, decided to steal the whole ship? Uh, maybe. That could be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was the same people involved or maybe the people who stole his money were thrown over ship with his money. I don't know. But well, all I know is he was almost thrown over ship or overboard over the ship, but did not actually get thrown over and only had four pennies. And then to top it off, this is New York in late 1880s, right? So it's not a nice place. Ellis Island wasn't open yet. uh, So you just kind of got dropped off at the docks like cargo. Statue of Liberty was still in Paris. Uh, Stock market had just crashed, uh, resulting in like several major companies and banks going bankrupt. And of course, immigrants were met with open hostility, being accused of stealing American jobs. Sound familiar? Yes, some things never change. Welcome to America. (laughs) (laughs) College and jobs, always the same. So interestingly enough, Edison actually met with Tesla pretty early on. The meeting was arranged by Bachelor, who had nothing but great things to say about Tesla. There's a quote going around about about something like I only know two great men you're one here's the other you know some some stuff like that Uh, but Tesla was immediately impressed with Edison what he had achieved with no formal scientific education or training and no early advantage you're saying Tesla was or Edison was Tesla was impressed with Edison initially and Edison didn't have any training he didn't have any formal official scientific training Interesting. And no early advantage. I didn't uh, know that either. Yeah. So Edison, on the other hand, thought Tesla was pretentious and full of wild ideas. This is where that <laughs> Asperger's comes in. Because, of course, when you meet somebody, uh, the first thing you should do is tell them how shitty their idea is and how much better yours is. Yeah, like, uh, I'm going to fix your problem. <laughs> this is exactly what he did. I, he said something like, uh, DC is the only practical kind of current to use. Or, sorry, AC was the only practical kind of current to use. And DC was inferior. <laughs> It's a way to make friends. Yes. Uh, now give me all your money and help me. <laughs> so Edison laughed it off. He had already dismissed AC, considering it dangerous and hard to work with. And of course, he'd already invested all of his money into the sale and distribution of DC, but he kind of hired Tesla anyways. He just kind of hired him as a repair guy to do repairs on his systems, which personally, I feel like was an underhanded jab. Slap in the face. Right? Yeah. Like, all right, upstart. How about you go fix my systems and I'll pay you five cents a a day. (laughs) So now is AC more dangerous to work with? It depends on how you work with it, but not inherently. I don't think it's any more inherently dangerous than DC is, but... I mean, it certainly can be. We'll kind of get into that a little bit later about some stuff that happened during the uh, the years of, of Edison and Tesla fighting and some of the smear campaigns and stuff. But so essentially, Tesla took this job because, you know, he needs work and and is, uh, <laughs> I swear to God, on the on the spectrum and probably didn't understand that he was being uh, insulted. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Edison kind of wanting to put Tesla in his place, uh, but also curious if he was really as good as people said, you know, cause John Batchelor did say he was really a genius and he really knew what he was doing. So he sent him to solve this huge kind of embarrassing problem that Edison had. I guess there was this new ship called the U.S. Oregon. It was stuck in port because the new DC electrical system they had just installed wouldn't work. Uh, <laughs> nice. So Tesla went over there and he spent the night on the ship himself and he completely reworked the dynamos on site, got it working, and the ship took off the next day. So from then on, Edison was duly impressed and he kind of let Tesla have full freedom in directing his own work within Edison. So that's quite the- seems like things are looking up, right? Yeah, that's quite the move up. <laughs> so Edison had challenged Tesla after this. He offered him $50,000 if he could improve on the dynamos and make them even more efficient. Of course, Tesla loves a challenge and he's very obsessive about the work that he does. So he spent the next year making 24 different designs, all improved on the efficiency of the dynamos and saved the company all sorts of money and a lot of efficiency in these things. And so when he was done with this, he came up to collect this money from Edison. And Edison's response was essentially to mock him and told him that he just didn't understand American humor and that it was all a joke. So strike two on Edison and Edison's company. And Tesla is not American. He doesn't play baseball. So he's just gone. He's out. Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Yes. So really crappy. There's like two major, major just scammed out of, of work and money. So jab in the face. Yeah. But Tesla had been around in the States long enough that he kind of built a name for himself. So he was approached by investors, B.A. Vale and Robert Lane, 
We're very interested in his work and his uh, proven abilities to kind of prove upon existing works and stuff. So together they started the Tesla Electric Light and Manufacturing Company. So Tesla's name on the company, he should definitely be able to do whatever he wants now, right? You would think so. Yeah, no, that's not how it worked. (laughs) Tesla really wanted to do AC, as you can imagine, but his investors wanted to improve on arc lights for factories. Uh, and What's an arc light? so an arc light is basically like a fluorescent lamp. So it's essentially you've got gas in there and you agitate the gas and it glows with electrons, you know, kind of oh, like neon right. lights. So like neon and argon, stuff like that. Uh, they had a huge issue with hissing and blinking and they were used a lot in factories. So they wanted to make a new, a new version, a better version of this. And so those who have the money tend to win out uh, with a promise that he'd get to work on AC afterwards. So Tesla was able to get rid of the hiss and the flickering that was really known for these lights. But when he finished and attempted to work on AC, his partners forced him out. So even with his name on the company, he couldn't do what he wanted. He got forced out. Didn't get any money from that. Didn't have any patents to go with it. Nothing on his own again. And this was really just, this was like a, a kick in the balls, so to speak. Like uh, <laughs> it really, his spirit kind of just dropped and he actually uh, lost all trust for partners. Yeah, uh, this him. is 18, late 1885, early 1886. So he spent that year and most of the next doing various day labor jobs. At one point he was literally just digging ditches at $2 a day. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so he did that for like two years. But on one of these jobs, he managed to convince one of his foremen of how awesome an idea AC was. And this foreman happened to know a few people and introduced Tesla to engineer Albert Brown and lawyer Charles Peck. I haven't heard of either of these people. These were pretty much the way that Tesla got his first lab. So they weren't sold on his AC AC idea at first because they weren't convinced that anybody could make this rotating magnetic field. They thought that this was, you know, just, you know, uh, daydreams, essentially. Yes. So he came up with a solution to convince them what he called the egg of Columbus. So wow. I don't know if you know what that comes from. No, I no So idea. there's an old tale called Columbus's Egg. It's a story where Columbus used to challenge people, Columbus being Christopher Columbus, challenge people to balance eggs. So he'd have them at dinner, try and balance eggs, and they couldn't. And so he would just end up taking a little small chip in a bit of the end of the egg, making a flat service, and then he'd balance it. So it was kind of like a way of amusing people. It was a cheat. You know, it was just supposed to be funny. But so it's just this Columbus's egg story. So what he did is he he made this thing called the egg of Columbus, and he cast an, an egg out of, uh, I think it was iron and brass. And he put it within this magnetic field, and he turned it on, and it would start spinning. And eventually it was spinning so fast that the egg stood up on end, spinning. And they were convinced that he could make this rotating magnetic field. And so they signed on. And with that partnership, they formed the Tesla Electric Company. Was it the first one called the Tesla Electric Company? Nope. It was called the Tesla Electric Light and Manufacturing Company. Oh, okay. So they just <laughs> they just shortened it. They took out light and manufacturing. <laughs> yes. So much shorter. So he finally secured real financing and a fully equipped lab on 89th and Liberty. And he basically spent the next 10 years developing the fundamentals for pretty much every major invention he would ever be known for. And then he invented the single two and three phase AC systems. So that was pretty cool. So I don't know if you're familiar with phasing. I was just going to ask. So single phase is just a single powered wire and a neutral wire, and then you pass your current through it. It's alternating, so it switches back and forth about 60 times a second. Peak power is at 90 and 260 degree phase. Not very efficient, not very solid power. From there, he invented the two phase, which is two power lines and one neutral. I think there was also a version where there was two powers and two neutrals. Uh, and so basically the power was off phase, you know, how it's a cycle of going Mm -hmm. back and forth. So it basically offset this cycle by 90 degrees. So when one was at its peak, one was at zero peak zero. Does that make sense? It was like trailing by 90 degrees. I don't really know a whole lot about two phase because it didn't exist for very long. It was replaced by three phase. So three phase is pretty much the standard for power delivery. It has three powered lines that are 120 degrees out of phase from each other. Uh, so third, mm-hmm. third of a cycle, uh, and allows you to transfer three times the amount of power with the same voltage or the same current, uh, allows constant power and phase canceling to get any variation of needed power in between its, you know, max and min. 
but this isn't the electrical engineering show. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what we really need on this show is people to be able to see the hand motions you're making because mm-hmm. that makes it way easier to understand. Yes, my uh, visual of the sign phase is pretty good. Kind of looks like the wave. (laughs) So as usual, Tesla isn't much of a paperwork and business sort of guy, but he did actually try to patent his AC system. The problem is he had no idea how that worked. So he just tried to patent this entire system. And the patent house was like, "Uh, nope, (laughs) this is full of all sorts of crazy crap we have never seen before. You're going to have to break this up and file individual patents. Uh, So he ended up with seven separate inventions on initial uh, review that he patented in that first year, 1887, five more patents in 1888, and 18 more patents in 1889, all on this crazy different types of phase AC systems. So for once, he has finally gotten patents in his name. That's amazing. And he's how old at this point? So this is 1886, and he was born in 1856. He's 30 years old. Finally, grew up enough to, to get his first patent. <laughs> Why didn't I get a first patent? At the- well, you've got to actually invent something. Well, that's just dumb. <laughs> so he's actually really starting to kind of blow up in the science world, but also the social world. So he's Tesla, the socialite at this point. He was the dude to have at your parties because he would tell crazy stories of his childhood and give like AC demonstrations and recite poetry in foreign languages from memory. So pretty much anyone who was anyone had Tesla at their parties. He's come uh, a long way from yes. four cents. And this is really weird because... The this is the guy that is kind of known to be like the, the loner hermit guy as he's older and not really liking people. Apparently at this point, this is this is where he wanted to be at the life of the parties. But apparently he met like all sorts of famous people like uh, Samuel Longhorn Clemens, who Mark Twain for people who know his real name. And let's see who else. There was naturalist John Muir, known as John of the Mountains or father of national parks. Interesting. Uh, and it also led to the publication of, of uh, the book called Inventions, Researches, and Writings of Nikola Tesla, which is like a 500-page work on basically everything that he did. This was in 1893. So funny story. There, there's a lot of funny stories that go around. One of them is about Mark Twain. Apparently, at one of his labs, he was doing a lot of research on vibrations and, and resonant frequencies. So the first story is he actually caused like a mini earthquake-like thing in his neighborhood in New York where the police were called and showed up when he was taking the experiment apart. His own words, I have not been able to find any actual reference to this throughout history of like any earthquake-like thing that happened. But the other funny thing that happened, and this was confirmed, I think, I think I read this by Mark Twain, but he basically uh, almost caused Mark Twain to crap himself. Awesome. <laughs> he had him stand on this giant plate and was doing these vibrations. And of course, Mark Twain really liked it. And so he's trying to go over there. And so Tesla gave him a warning, said, you might want to get off now. And uh, he didn't listen. So he got off there and then made a silly look and then ran to the bathroom really fast because apparently Tesla made him crap himself. So (laughs) (laughs) just one of those funny stories that pops up in Tesla urban legends. That's funny. Got a lot of specials. Yes, yes, he does. So anyways, through all of this, he still managed to maintain his crazy hours of intense working. He was more intrigued by his uh, inventing than by commercializing any of his inventions and was constantly pushing it off as something that could be done later, which, of course, would be a major part of why he spent his later years alone and broke. But anyways, at this stage, uh, enter George Westinghouse. Who's George Westinghouse? George Westinghouse. This is the man that is the only real reason that Tesla ever made any money at all. He was already an established businessman, an inventor, and unlike Edison, saw the genius in Tesla's ideas without being filtered through already existing significant investments in rival technology. (laughs) Uh, Westinghouse made his name through an invention of like an air brake for trains, uh, other small electronic devices. But most importantly for Tesla is he knew how to market his intellectual property. So, which obviously at his era, Tesla Tesla was not great with. Yes. So now Westinghouse wasn't exactly the knight in white shining armor. He had already purchased several patents for inferior AC systems from some French teams and had already started a company to make electronics for AC system, but he was missing important parts to really make it work. And so he's already invested heavily into it and he was pretty sure Tesla had exactly what he needed to kind of complete his 
AC dominance, so to speak. So essentially, remember those Teslas that Patent owned? Uh-huh. So Westinghouse negotiated a deal with Tesla and his partners to buy those patents. 20K in cash, 50K in Westinghouse stock, and $2.50 in royalty for every horsepower on every Tesla motor with 5,000 guaranteed year one, 10,000 year two, and 15,000 year three. Not a bad deal, especially for someone as prolific with inventions as Tesla and equally as horrible at capitalizing on them. (laughs) Uh, But so that's the deal he made. And then Westinghouse systems that he kind of been working on had used 133 hertz and Tesla motors were at 60 hertz. So, of course, he tried to force Tesla into converting to his system. And after about a year or two, uh, it became obvious that that wasn't going to work. So he actually had adapted Tesla's 60 hertz, which is the standard even we use today. So, but that wasn't the end of their business time together. Uh, things were just heating up and together they were about to enter the Chicago World's Fair, which would embroil them in the famous battle with Edison and DC Power. Ooh. And we will get into that next time because we're running out of time. But uh, I really just kind of wanted to talk about, we talked earlier about some of the things that I think prove that Tesla definitely had OCD and some other strange things. So this is my section I call weird things about Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, at one point he had a nervous breakdown in his 1880s in his 1880s, in the 1880s, he couldn't stand loud noises or pretty much any amount of light. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So that luckily didn't stay permanent. He would also become too immersed in things, taking them to excess. So he began to practice self-control. And of course, he did this too in excess. So there was no small cutbacks or anything. It was literally all or nothing. So when he found out coffee was bad for his heart, he stopped drinking coffee altogether. When he found out that cigars were bad for his sister's health when he was hanging out with her, he stopped smoking. Of course, gambling, his mother convinced him, was bad for the family by supposedly giving him all of their money and said, it's best you just lose this all at once then if you're just going to keep throwing away money. Uh, So I guess that opened his uh, eyes and so he just quit. And of course, sex, as we discussed, he saw as preventing him from being able to be all of the Tesla that he could be in the science community. So he just didn't do that either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He developed a lot of weird dislikes. And when I say dislikes, I don't just mean like, oh, I don't really like that. We're talking violent aversion. So earrings, especially long ones, the longer, the worse they were. Pearls, couldn't do pearls. I wonder what's that about. I have no idea. You know, people with these issues just have things that they just develop. I have no idea what the reason is. But another one was other people's hair. He's fine with his own hair, but other people's hair, get it away from him. Gross. Peaches was another one. And then camphor. He couldn't even be in the same building with camphor. What is camphor? So it's kind of, it comes from evergreen trees uh, in Asia. It's using like essential oils. It's kind of waxy, white, transparenty, and flammable. So yeah, couldn't even be in the same house with them. Uh, That's we, weird. We talked, he only slept for like three or four hours a night. And then like OCD proof. Okay, so he counted his steps on his walks. And if he missed count, he would start over. If he missed count on anything, he would start over, even if it took him hours. This is like the quintessential OCD proof for me, even if it would make him late for things, etc. He calculated the volumes of things in containers at restaurants <laughs> just That's randomly. Weird. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever done that. but oh, uh, all the time. Not me. Nope. <laughs> uh, he, anything that was something he had to repeat, he had to do it in an amount of time that was divisible by three. So if he got napkins, it would be 18 napkins. If he took a walk around the blocks, he'd hey, the block, he'd have to go three times. Uh, if he stayed in a room's hotel, uh, it had the room number had to be divisible by three, and he had to have eighteen towels. Like it was very, very interesting. Very OCD. And then, of course, another big proof of OCD was he became very germaphobic. He wouldn't shake people's hands, and if he absolutely had to, he would immediately run and wash his hands. So apparently this came because he once viewed tap water under a microscope and just saw I, I you got to look up like his description of this because I can't even re recount it properly. But it was hilarious and sad at the same time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he said anybody who saw what he saw would be a fool to drink water if not sterilized or boiled. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. He spent a lot of time speaking out loud to himself, but not like regular people do, but like entire conversations with answers. 
extremely intolerant of overweight people and would avoid them at all cost and said it nauseated him. He himself was even described as quite gaunt. That's pretty jerky. It is pretty jerky. Yes, I agree. He had the aversion to women we talked about, spoke to his sisters through his husbands. He was celibate, but also he wouldn't call women by name. He would refer to them as miss. Just miss. Even like his assistants would just be miss. That's going to be confusing. Yes. Uh, and then to be contradictive of his germophobia, he loved pigeons. <laughs> he even bailed out on receiving the Edison medal to go play with pigeons in front of the library. He actually had to be escorted back by a friend <laughs> to, to get it. So. I don't think they knew that pigeons were so dirty then. I think they did. <laughs> I think they were still viewed as pests at the time. And then he found electric baths invigorating. Electric baths were kind of like with the Tesla coil. He kind of, he felt it was rejuvenating, I guess. And more, it rejuvenated him better than sleep ever did, is something he once said. And then, of course, uh, when he was old, living by himself, he pretty much lived off of milk and Nabisco crackers. That was, that was his diet. <laughs> That's pretty sad. How did he survive on that? Uh, well, he didn't. <laughs> well, obviously not forever. <laughs> that was kind of a list of some of the really weird things that that kind of go along with him. But I don't know. I know you'd mentioned some other questions that you had earlier. Did you want to talk about them? And the only other question I had that we didn't uh, cover was what is a Tesla coil actually for? <laughs> so that's a really good question. So... I'll state right now that about 90% of what a Tesla coil is for is to look really cool. See, that's what I thought a Tesla coil <laughs> yeah, was for. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much used for demonstrations. It does actually have a practical use in very low frequency, long wave radio transmissions. So they sort of revolutionized shortwave transmitters and is pretty much the basis of the pre-1920s radio revolution. So shortwave is not really a definitive term, but it's just kind of the name that describes frequencies from between 1.7 and 30 megahertz. So throwback to when radio waves were divided into three categories, shortwave, medium wave, and long wave, and, rever and referred to like the physical wavelength of the actual radio band. And then from here, you kind of get into conspiracy. So there's a lot we could get into on a completely different show about HARP, but it's the most powerful shortwave station in VLF and ELF range. And a lot of crap about mind control comes up when you search it. But that's kind of a, a completely different show with less science. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Outside of the the shortwave transmitters, it's really it's really just something that looks cool. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, that is our show for today. Uh, when we start back next week, we'll get to the meat of the story with the conflict between Edison and Tesla, starting with the World Fair. Thanks for joining us. Did you have anything else you want to say? Tesla part two. Tesla part two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, have a great rest of your week. Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Make sure you stay tuned for next week where we do part two of Nikola Tesla, where we start off with the wonderful and amazing World's Fair in Chicago, which is pretty much the beginning of the ultimate fight between Edison and Tesla. AC versus DC, Westinghouse Company versus General Electric. So you don't want to miss it. Thanks again for listening. I hope you had a great time and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And remember, as always, live, learn, build. Shows brought to you by Five Hertz Labs in association with Dammit Chippy Productions. Show music was written and produced by Ghost Two Music. The episode was produced, mixed, and mastered by Infinite Melodics. Find them everywhere on the internet at Infinite Melodics. Thanks for listening. <laughs>